we put our heads together to both reimagine and lift the bar on what a modern motocross helmet should be. Opt for the highest level of modern technology and energy dispersion with the Fly Racing Formula Helmet. Designed for an elevated defense against a wider range of real-world impact scenarios. Globally engineered with the most advanced materials and technologies available. Outfit yourself with proven technology, lightweight performance, and elevated impact management with the Fly Racing Formula Helmet. Hey, welcome to the Fly Racing Swap Moto Podcast. I'm here with my longtime buddy, slash test rider, slash dirt bike hero, guy Mike Sleater. Um, Mike Sleater was a 125 Supercross professional for North County Yamaha when I met him. Yes. Yeah, you remember that? Those were the days scared to hit triples. <laughs> I remember you because you were friends with Garth. Right, Garth, Garth. Garth gave me the uh, call, man, to test with you yeah. on the CR four fifty. Uh, no, our RM two fifty two stroke. The last year they did At production. Of, yep, I remember it was like one hundred and forty degrees outside, and we ate at Denny's on the way up there. And mm -hmm. Garth said, "If you blow this opportunity, dude, this is it." <laughs> <laughs> no, the the thing I remember about you was uh, uh, you'd come hang out with us at Elsinore. Garth yep. and I were at Elsinore, and you came riding up, and you're on your, your, your NCY 125. Yep. And you're like, hey, if you ever need anyone to test. And your voice was, like, way raspier back then and higher when yeah, you were yeah. little. Yeah, And you rode away, and I was like, Garth, was that like that Andy Carson from <laughs> Motocross? <laughs> well, that's probably why I got hired to do that job for Motocross. Yeah. I had the green fingernails. Because you were in there. Were you, were you a stunt person on that show? Yeah, I was uh, – I was the guy with the green fingernails on motocross. So oh, that was nice. that was uh, 1998, I believe. Wow. And uh, it was like Andy Harrington, Albrecht, all those guys. It was actually Andy Harrington's debut into the stunt world. And mm -hmm. me and Leninovich and my friend Jake Elkins, we were just getting ready to turn pro and all excited. And we were so pissed that um, we didn't get the call to do the stunts at Barona Oaks, which is our home track. Mm -hmm. Um that we just showed up like with our bikes, like we just that we wanted to be in, and luckily all the guys that had their SAG card like uh -huh. got hurt because the track was super gnarly. <laughs> so they we ended up getting paid. We at that time we thought we were just getting rich. We were getting paid like twelve hundred dollars a day, mm -hmm. not knowing like Dave Castillo and Joel Albrecht were making like twenty thousand dollars a day. Yeah. We were like extras with bike rental, gear rental, and yeah. we were basically making minimum did, did wage. Did you get Taft Hartley in that day? Or? No, I, I probably bought, um, I didn't buy into my SAG card. Mm -hmm. I um, probably put subwoofers in my Chevy truck. <laughs> and Andy Harrington got a SAG card and went on to being really good at his job and stunt work for Charlie's Angels. And meanwhile, I was trying to pull chicks with two 10-inch subwoofers. It didn't no. work out good. <laughs> so what was that like, being on that? Like, did you have any idea at the time? Because motocross, I mean, that was pretty big. I mean, everyone saw it. I mean, I've watched it several times. Yeah. It, it, I, mean? I actually didn't realize how big it was till my two boys watched it like a year ago. Oh, yeah? And they thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, it, it it was cool. It was a pretty cool thing to see how, like, they actually did a legit movie. Mm -hmm. But at the same kind of, kind of disheartening how our sport just, they cannot pull off a motorcycle motocross movie properly or supercross yeah. movie it's you either have chimps riding them or guys with mink coats or <laughs> dudes with green fingernails so yeah it was a cool experience i'm glad i did it um 
I still like the race too much and ride to, to make that transition to Hollywood like Andy Harrington and those guys did. So I think I took the right path for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so stepping back a little bit, you know, that's when I did meet you. And Garth was like, we got to use this guy for, you know, Transworld Motocross testing and had you out. And I, I still remember the photos, like you were wearing that shift gear that was like super baggy that year and the jersey was blue like was it the blue gear the kind of yeah. was cool i thought it was red, red. i don't know but you you're whipping it at victorville raceway i remember that for sure i remember i was doing heel clickers and like dude don't do that that's <laughs> not cool like i was just showing it wasn't off. even cool back then no no it wasn't i was like dude i'll be sick i'll do heel clickers and knack-knacks and you're like just quit the tricks just i need you to whip it and look racy and i i haven't done a heel clicker in front of you since then i don't think <laughs> so Oddly enough, you know, you you tested with us for several years, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, throughout throughout racing. Um, well, before we go into the transition, one of the coolest race memories I have of you was, I think it was Anaheim. And I, I remember what it was, but J-Law was talking shit to you. Oh, yeah. And you punted him in a heat race. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah, that guy, he's a little fucking prick. And he, he, he um, like... I just didn't want to take a shit. Yeah. Like, I went through high school. I had Mexicans throw me in trash cans and do stuff. And that guy weighed like 130 pounds soaking wet. I was like, I remember walking through the tunnel and I was like, this guy for real, he was mouthing off because we we're going to LCQ. And he said to me, he goes, Hey, just stay out of my effing way or something. And I grabbed him by the neck and I pushed him up against the wall, up against the pit, the uh, starting block. And I was like, dude, you messed with the wrong guy. When you're faster than me, you're the champ. And when you pass me after a whole shot, I'm going to put you in the cheap seats for talking shit. And um, my brother was like, yo, my brother was my mechanic. And then what was, what's, gosh, what's his name? A team manager at the time um, from where I was, he was freaking out on me. Was it Dang? It was Dang. Yeah. Dang, Dang, sorry. I, you know, I shouldn't remember that. But Dang was. Chris McAvoy. He was, he was fired up. And like I did what I said, I was going to do a whole shotted. And he got in front of me and was riding probably the worst jail I was ridden the whole, like, two years. Because the guy is badass on a bike. But he just talked a bunch of crap. And I, I just, you know, I wasn't the guy that was going to roll over. I didn't have anything to lose. I wasn't paid to race. I was paid to test. And I just wanted to let him know he wasn't going to push me around. Like, yeah. And I just hit him as hard as I could. And ever since that day, like, J-Law gives me nothing but respect. <laughs> and and I respect him as a racer. But he, he talked a lot of shit to a lot of people. Yeah, that was awesome. Okay, so how did you transition into uh, your testing role with KTM? Um, I uh, obviously, like you said, um, you guys gave me an opportunity, and anytime I, I I've always been one to like take opportunity and know my role, and um, I would miss practice days to come do a test for you guys, and I'd mm -hmm. miss practice days to go do photo shoots for Shift because I knew my value wasn't to go win races it was to be visible and be a spokesperson and ambassador so you gave me the platform to educate people that i knew how to handle a bike and knew how to get feedback and then ryan raglan who i've met way back in the early 90s when he was moved down here from montana he was like the one-man engineer slash mechanic at ktm in el cajon mm -hmm. and he you know he probably was reading the magazine and and saw me in it and hit me up and we started testing suspension from out at Cahia on a 252 stroke and mm -hmm. Kiefer was Boy, helping. This, this is pre-linkage days, right? Oh yeah. This was like, <laughs> this was like right towards the end of McGrath's retirement on the KTM, right? The Bud Light years. And Ryan didn't have much to do with that. He was doing all production stuff and, um, he was really motivated young 
chassis guy and um, suspension guy. He was a great racer and rider himself. And uh, I'd go out on like Saturdays and mm-hmm. Sundays when he was off off work and we'd test and stuff. And I was so pumped. But I think I actually got noticed by him again, kind of to back up, is Leninovich, who is my longtime best friend, signed with Guy, or which is now Geico. Yeah. He had his factory 125 KTM. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a bike yet. It was that year that we switched from 125 to 250Fs, and I was waiting for the new Yamaha. And I was like, hey, dude, I need a bike. He's like, just take my KTM. Like, they haven't called for me to get it back yet. <laughs> so I went out to get to, to Elsinore, when, uh, and the thing was so fast. It was mm-hmm. a factory KTM 125, and it was pretty dumb of me to go to a public track because not <laughs> many people are on a... Uh, <laughs> A full blown factory KTM. It had no numbers, nothing, but riding the way it was written. Like back then, if you saw a KTM, you knew how much the guy paid for it and where yeah. it came from. And Ryan had to come tell come tell me like, "Hey, when you're done with that, just drop it by my box fan so I can take it back <laughs> to the shop." So <laughs> no Bi- I got Billy's 125 repo repo. So that kind of started the conversation, and then told him I didn't have bikes yet, and I was just made myself available to test, and um, that was in 2003. And then '04, I started working with Lytle and the R&D group started mm-hmm. forming to build the first KTM 250F. We were riding that a lot, and that was my first big project. And every year, just kind of building and building. And I was pretty much full-time in '05, testing and racing. But it, they allowed me to race and do what I wanted to do mm-hmm. as a privateer. Yeah. Do you remember having that conversation and telling me, can't really test anymore. I'm a KTM guy. Yeah, that came from Tom Moen, that grumpy old man, because he was so mad that I ranked the KTM last, the 450 in the sh- in the shootout. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Like, yeah, I helped develop it, but it's like three years, four years behind everyone else. So that was one of those things. I just had to be honest, and you know, we have to have our credibility. Yeah. And that 2005 KTM 450 was a hunk of junk. Were you? Were you in the 250 shootout the year that, or the 125 shootout the year that they forgot to come? Oh, yeah. When Scott Harden was running it, and he he literally forgot that we had our shootout that day. And so just by chance, I think Jody had one or something. So he got one from MXA, and it was literally leaning against a trash can all day. <laughs> KTM's come a long way, haven't they? Yeah. It's pretty crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you figure how good Yamaha and – and Honda was then, and you look at them now, and they're they're like the bike that everyone aspires to want to have, right? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, even that, and from that, having the PR guy forget about our shootout and not show up and not care to, like, David and Tom are the coolest guys now. Yeah, that that group there, that they're enthusiasts, man. Like, David O'Connor and Moen. I mean, yeah. Mo, Moen's still willing to land on his head to this day because he just loves the ride, yeah. right? And and DOC's the same way. Those That KTM Husqvarna group, I think, is still one of the most aggressive groups of media guys because they're really passionate. Mm-hmm. Like, Andy Jefferson at Husky and Meatball and DOC. Those guys are awesome. Yeah. They take pride in their work. For sure. So, uh testing with ktm when did brother scott get pulled in scott got we they brought me on as the factory 450 race development guy in 2007 Mm -hmm. and i needed a full-time like i needed a full-time mechanic and my brother scott broke his neck in 1995 and couldn't be a framer anymore and never really worked on bikes 
Mm-hmm. And Scott's eight years my senior, and he was working for my dad, and he just kind of was burnt. But he he's very very intelligent. Like comprehension can pretty much be taught anything, and he just started developing me as a racer and kind of helping me on the side, and then was working for Tim Morgan, who's an engine guy for NCY back in the early 90s, did uh-huh. Wiggins stuff and, like, Metzger's Motors, and he was working on Banshees and just all sorts of stuff uh-huh. and building my race bikes. I was 125, and um, he built good motors, and Ryan's like, hey, what did your brother want a job? I was like, I don't know. I'll ask him. And, you know, was 12 years later, my brother's still at KTM as yeah. the crew chief for the R&D department. Yeah, so Scott is... I mean, he's, you say you re- reference his broken back, but he, he was paralyzed and he's fully functional now, but he still can't feel certain things. He's yeah. Like, he broke his neck, um, C1, C3, then C5 to C7 refused, um, on a BMX bike. And he was uh, like a snowboarder in the winter, a BMX racer in the summer. That's mm-hmm. his life. And he framed houses. That was his lifestyle. Like he lived the Sean Palmer style lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And his world got flipped upside down like so many of our friends, unfortunately. And um, his left hand's pretty much paralyzed shut. Like he can he can kind of grab a clutch lever and bring his brings it in with his arm, and then he can feed it out, but he can't grab anything. He couldn't mm-hmm. like pick. He can't pick up a bottle with his hand. Can't pick up anything, but he can just kind of rest it on there. And his left arm has no muscle tone, and he can't feel his feet. So he wears like a size too small foot or shoe on his and his boots, so he can have pressure. He walks on pressure. So if he hits like an extension cord, he can't feel the touch. Mm-hmm. So he'll like eat it okay. or any ledge. Yeah. So he has to make sure he's always lifting his feet. So if he drags his feet, he can't. But if you yeah, have a guy number 120 goes by you at Glen Helen. And you got passed by. You got passed by a half, half man. Like he's only going to use his right side. Yeah. It's funny though because you wouldn't know that. You know, unless he told you. Yeah, he and he won't tell. As you know, you've had to get it out of him. Yeah. He doesn't tell the story. He's pretty. I'd say he's pretty insecure about his 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 accident. When he should be. I mean, in my opinion, he's a he he's a, proud of the progress he's made. He's a miracle, you yeah. know. And and um, they did a lot of case study on his on his injury. There's no medical reason why he is the way he is. And uh-huh. I think a lot of him because he's stubborn as hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think one of my favorite things i laugh about is that one time you were asking me to come on a group ride uh, yeah. a group mountain bike ride. yeah yeah i'm all dude i can't ride with you guys and you're all my brother my brother's coming and he's paralyzed <laughs> yeah yeah he he sends in if you see him on a mountain bike he doesn't ride it use a front brake because he can't grab it yeah so he just takes it off so people are like he just takes it off because he oh, so he only has a rear brake and um yeah he had a certain hardtail mountain bikes rear brake caliper rip off the frame and he went flying down a hill at lunch oh that's no good. Yeah, not good. So, um, not to touch on a, a bad subject or whatever, but you had one more brother, right? Yeah, my younger brother, Cole, who t- 22 months younger than me, um, in 2007 passed away of cancer, of mm-hmm. testicular cancer. It was a quick, long 10 months that he faced every adversity ever, stem cell transplant. Um, he had the best care that you know, money could buy. Mm-hmm. He had, he had, he did everything he could. Um, it just wasn't, you know, I, I'm a believer in God and I believe that God had a bigger plan for him and he did his work here and he left us then on a, on New Year's day mm-hmm. in 2007. And that was a rough year for me. I thought I was past it and stronger and I even, I don't even made the night show. I tried to race like two weeks after and I was a disaster. And yeah, 
But yeah, he he was a driving force to me, being as strong as I am. He's my younger, bigger brother. He mm-hmm. was he was he was a tough guy, man. He was. If you know my brother, he wouldn't put up with much. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's still watching you now. Yeah, he does. He has my back. That's for sure. That night with J Law, he definitely. <laughs> I kind of probably spoke through me. Yeah. I think uh, was that the night that you, it was like a retro night at Anaheim, and you had the red and white KTM. Yep, that's right. Really yeah, cool helmet you had. Yeah, use. Tiger always knocked it out of the park for me with like red helmets, and he did like a hand a pin painted helmet. Um, he painted and paint pinned the whole entire helmet, and had like mm-hmm. a mural for my brother. And yeah, that was that 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 was a gnarly year. That was a kind of taught me a lot about my myself, and yeah, you know. So those years were. Spent half racer, half R&D guy still, right? Yeah. Um, How did that work out? Like, your whole time at KTM, were you like a contract guy? Contractor. Yeah, a contractor for the R&D side. Yep. And then they would kind of backdoor support you racing, I'm, I'm imagining? Or? So 2007 to 10, um, I was actually uh, the full-time test and production and race guy. Mm-hmm. So I was um, – I would – I would basically on seven. I'd race the whole season, prepare for like Brayton, the MDK team. Mm-hmm. So I developed the the 450 and race scenario. Mm-hmm. So like they really at the time, like I look back at it, I always wanted to be a better racer, like when I was racing. Yeah. And they didn't care. Mm-hmm. But I really cared. Like they didn't. Like when I'd have a bad night, I'd be so bummed to myself and like thought they might like let me go and replace me. Yeah. But now that I look back at it, like. All they wanted me was from Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. and I, I, in my head, I wanted to better my racing. Yeah, like, which kept me sharp, kept me relevant to like my personal sponsors and the mm-hmm. industry. But looking back at it, like, and not in a bad way, like KTM didn't need me as a racer. I wasn't good enough to be a factory racer. Mm-hmm. I was a factory test rider that could race at a high level. So you were essentially setting up bikes for the race team. Yeah, trying the new stuff. Yep. The new wild stuff, I'm sure. Yeah, know. yeah. It was, and like, it was a heck of a, like, I mean, I got to ride some unbelievable, like, I, my bikes were better than the factory bikes possibly a week prior because, yeah. like, we'd learn something and then apply it. Mm-hmm. And those times, like, they were so aggressive, like, the team in Austria and, like, Dudley Crane and Leighton Rice, that team, we would be trying motors and, like, literally, I get a call on Thursday night, hey, when Alessio was going for the title against Tedesco, mm-hmm. was that 06? 05. Oh five. Oh five. They flew me to Washougal like on Thursday night and shipped me with a b- motor box. Uh huh. And they were peeling Red Bull stickers off my bike with numbers so I could race the bike to make sure that motor was gonna live. So unless you could so race it, yeah. so for Millville, like to have those kind of opportunities for me like was really cool. But I couldn't go travel the circuit or get in the van and go do races. Like it doesn't happen like it used to. But we had yeah. friends that did that. So. Looking back at it, I had the best of both worlds. I had a steady paycheck. Mm-hmm. wasn't getting rich, but I got to do what I loved. And, and I got to race enough to still get my fix in. That was 05, 06. I tried to try out with Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. I was going to be their test I rider. I remember that. And I broke. I broke. Uh, I crashed it. I crashed the prototype bike. I spun off a jump and crashed. And um, I thought I wasn't going to get hired. Like, I was stressing out so bad. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, and I, Mike Fisher would answer my call. And called Dana and I was like, what am I, what? they're like, I don't know. So I just signed a $12,000 contract with KTM oh. <laughs> for a year. Uh-huh. And I, and then they called me back in like a month, like, Hey, you're all healed up. You ready to start? Oh no. Yeah. So that, but when I read for Cowie 
factory Cali, I had I couldn't race anymore. Oh, okay. I was just testing. So once again, that twelve thousand dollar paycheck put me where I was. It that allowed was, you to do. That allowed me to do what I want to do. Yeah. Well, hey, let's take a quick break to uh, hear from our sponsors, but we'll be back with more. Hey, SWAT Moto listeners, this is Zach Osborne, rider for the Rockstar Energy Husqvarna factory racing team. I love my FC 450 race bike, but I also love the FC 350. It has the handling of a 250 and the power of a 450, making it the perfect bike for both professional and amateur riders. Right now, Husqvarna Motorcycles is giving SWAT Moto listeners 1,500 reasons to get a brand new FC 350. Hurry into your local authorized Husqvarna Motorcycles dealer to find out more on the limited time offers available to get you on the track today. For over six decades, Scott Motorsports has pushed the limits of innovation, providing our customers with the most advanced technology available. Scott is honored to be the exclusive eyewear sponsor of the SWAT Moto Live podcast. Athletes such as Chad Reed, Justin Barsha, and myself, Adam Cianturillo, require the best performance, which is why we choose the Scott Prospect Goggle. Recognized as the number one goggle in racing, Scott is proud to be made in the USA. Check out scott-sports.com to see their complete line of high-performance goggles. Hey guys, Hunter Lawrence here. Lately I've been spending a whole lot of time at the mountain bike trails and the local area on my intense primer, and the thing's badass. For how good it is going up the hill, it's uh, amazing coming down the hill. It's uh, comfortable, nimble, and it doesn't feel uh, like you're going to go over the bars every five seconds. Uh, all their bikes in their lineup are awesome. So, yeah, you're ready to get serious about training on a cross-country bike or crushing lap times at your local trails. Or if you want to go a bit further, longer and faster, they, they just brought out a new Taser e-bike, which is, uh, yeah, everyone's given the double thumbs up on. So head down to your local Intense dealer or, or purchase uh, directly at IntenseCycles.com. Check it out, guys. Hey, welcome back to the Fly Racing Swap Moto Podcast. I'm here with Mike Sleater. And we're talking about uh, your early transition into testing slash racing. When did it go from race team testing to pre-production stuff? Um, it started with pre-production, and then I got like I started doing go out races. Oh, so okay. yeah, I was doing all pre-production first, mm-hmm. and I was actually racing my Honda, like my Fun Bike Center MC Honda. Yeah, and then they didn't because ha- they didn't have enough 250Fs available. Then they gave me like a hundred hour bike and i raced glen helen and went like 12 12 mm-hmm. on a, pre- a pre-production essentially yeah ktm 250f and then that was when larry brooks was involved so i was testing a little bit for larry and uh a little bit and then seattle the year that ramsey was 06 mm-hmm. was it yeah 06 ramsey was going for the title and i remember a whole shot of the main and i cross jumped gooned out almost cut him off and he told me i was never allowed to ride the test track ever again and oh, no. but like yeah so it went from pre-production to race team with kurt nickel mm-hmm. and it was really cool the mdk days developing bikes for like jb and sipes mm-hmm. and that was a really fun group time for me like i don't know internally how it was like with the management of the teams but those guys were so awesome like will hahn and justin brayton and sipes helping them succeed cuz they could win yeah so, and then I kind of took a step back from racing and testing was building my own bikes, built my own team with Bork and Hagen. Mm-hmm. We did the factory I services in yeah. 2009 and 10. I had my own little program. One Industries always had my back. We used their hauler. Um, and yeah, I just kind of kept rolling. And then the linkages came out in 11 and <laughs> Thank God. things got better. And that was when I was done racing full time. Okay. I started doing, that was, uh, I turned 30 and I was like, this is when I should stop racing. 
which I didn't stop. I kept racing select races. Mm-hmm. Stopped racing Supercross full yeah. time. So, um, what was the biggest advancement that you pushed for on like a production bike? Would you say it's the linkage? <clears throat> like, why why didn't they want to have a linkage for so long? Is it it's was it a pride thing of like, hey, we can build the shock with a brain, and we don't need a link? Was it a stubborn pride thing, or was they really believed that it was superior without a link? I honestly can tell you from my opinion, the European team was so successful. The yeah. world champion team was so successful, and that company was built, like, they built that up so well, KTM in Europe, that they were selling all their bikes they sold mm-hmm. in Europe. They were winning world championships. And then they didn't understand the, the, the difference in elevation of competition in America mm-hmm. and athletes and teams and technology that they thought the guys in North America were crazy to have a linkage because we win over in in the Europe. Yeah. We were winning everything. The person who changed everything, we all always obviously want it, but we stopped talking about it because, <laughs> you know, you keep bringing a sore subject up and yeah. there's, you'd be probably, you know, expendable item was Stefan Everts. Mm-hmm. Stefan Everts came on board KTM and he changed the bike changed immensely. And then Mm -hmm. Roger came on and they had guys internally that had big voices and they had credibility. Mm -hmm. But internally in America, we didn't have that technical voice and that technical person Mm -hmm. or even in Europe to get something to change. Yeah. They, they had money in Europe with Red Bull. They hire the right guys and they'd win. So like, what's wrong with the product if we're winning? Yeah. Like Grant Langston came over here on a, on a kind of a pile of junk that won. Yeah. He couldn't win over here though on a, on that same bike. So I think the basic biggest advancement was, from Everts with linkages, and then from our aspect, I think one of the things I was most proud about was like um, engine free, getting the engines better, getting like the bearingless crank, mm-hmm. getting the engines to feel like really quick and snappy, um, and then better frame geometry, like lengthening the frame out. So like a lot of stuff that seems subtle, but I think made pretty big difference mm-hmm. with like the consumer. So uh, you were. You're still there in the era of the first factory edition. Yeah. And what was that like? Like having, you know, Roger come on and bring Dungey with him. And then the pressure was on to release that bike early. Like how far along was that bike? And then, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was a mad scramble, right? To yeah. Get, that that thing was like Austria had a plan. Like, I don't know how long this, the Roger talk was going on or whatever, mm-hmm. but legitimately, like, the 350 was, like, the bike, right? Yeah. Like, it was going to fix everything. It was going to be the – and suddenly, like, Roger came on and com- comes on, and I think they they had bigger plans the whole year were short in Alessi. Like, obviously, we know now what the bigger plan was. Yeah. And it's about halfway through the year, it was like, all right, new 450 motor, new this, new that, and I was testing six days a week, eight hours a day, going back to my brother. He was – we could do a frame swap, 45 minutes with, pe- with pegs. Really? We'd be at Glen Helen, me and him. We'd sw- we were swapping frames for head geom- steering uh-huh. head geometry and getting that thing right. And we literally, like, we were a small team. Is me and um, me and Rags and and Scott, and we just humped it. And um, Roger was so in, such a big influence on getting them to change things the right way. Mm-hmm. He's so methodical, but we had to homologate it. So mm-hmm. we, there's no works bike rule, right? Yeah. So no, no. Lance Smale used it up back in the yeah, day. Yeah, Tom Moen still has that thing, right? <laughs> yeah, Lance used that works bike rule, and we we pulled it off. I I don't know how they did it, 
but I mean, I know how they did it, but it, it was a lot of stress. The, the attorneys and the, you know, John Hines, when he was doing product management at the time before he's now the president, um, it was, it was really cool to be a part of a movement like that. Mm-hmm. Like we changed the KTM changed the game and I'm, I'm proud to be a part of like yeah. that. I mean, that was like when Dungey signed, people were like, Oh, you know, but literally 2011, that just took the trajectory of KTM racing program straight up. I yeah. Mean, it hasn't gone down since yeah. it's gotten better, the bike. And then the racing aspect helped production because they had a big voice for us. Mm-hmm. And then we were able to take feedback from the magazines and the media outlets and how the bike's doing. And I could get things changed for the prior model yeah. year, which was closer to that model. So like if you said the shock was a little soft or forks were a little stiff, I could, I'd have about a month and a half that I could adjust our settings mm-hmm. to, and people, all oh, the factor edition is the same as the next model year. It's not. Yeah. It's, yeah. we use it as a baseline to improve. So really KTM's making, three changes in the same model year with when that's why they're testing still four days a week yeah. here. Cause they're, they're it never stop developing. Yeah. Uh, okay. More of a general question. What was the one technology or, or part or something that you just hated that kept coming back on production bikes? Four CS. <laughs> yeah. The four CS fork. Yeah. yeah. It was that, that fork, we we did such. I think we did such a good job hitting the limit with it in production mm-hmm. that there wasn't a suspension guy out there. Usually, when you get your fork for your bike, you want to make it better, but it was you couldn't make it better. It was yeah. an okay fork for production, but no aftermarket company understood the technology that they may, had developed, and they just kept shoving that fork down our throats. Mm-hmm. And I was just that's like a nightmare fork for me. <laughs> oh man. You know, it's funny. Is like I, I remember you would call me and ask me questions about what I thought about bikes and what things were doing and stuff. And I would always be like, Sleater, why are you asking me, dude? I'm not like fast like you. And you're like, oh, no. And I'd tell you what I thought, and I'd be pumped because you'd be all, that's exactly what I think. Yeah, because I wanted to hear the feedback. Because I get, I'd ride some stuff so much that I'd get a little bit jaded or, jaded or used and, to it. And used to the bad things, you know? And, um, the 4CS, like I remember just like the first bump you hit, it just stay low and like it just skip off everything. And it wouldn't like make a clank bottom. I mean, we could go, that's a yeah. whole nother podcast. But yeah, that 4CS fork, um, that was that was something that I was glad to, to, to put to bed. Yeah. Hey, why do you think, because you and I are both big believers in the 350. Mm-hmm. Why hasn't that enjoyed more? Well, I, I guess it's a bad question because it still sells out, right, every year? Like, yeah, they still sell it, but, like, like Andrew and, and Michael raced it, and then they parked it. But, like, Cairoli won on it, like, overseas, or was it a, really a 400 or something? But, I mean— It was 350. But, but like, why, why hasn't it been more successful in the States? So, I can tell you a quick story in 350, and you're probably one of the guys that I was like— I got the first pre-production bike, and I was just like— could not believe how amazingly fast it was and it was ridiculous i mean it was like game changing you know Mm -hmm. probably called you you're not going to believe it (laughs) blah 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 the crank that was on that pre-production bike was a pankle crank bearingless crank which is now production yeah the bike that came with it the crank that came with the bike was a bearing crank okay the feel and horsepower difference was exponentially different 
We didn't know that. That was a rushed like timeline as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking it's going to handle one certain way, be certain power, and then as it comes to the market, I get my P3 bike, my final production bike, and I'm like, what's wrong with this thing? It's not even close to what we've been working with. Is that what gives it the high friction feeling, the yep. slow rev up, yep. slow rev down? Yeah, it's the bearing on the crank because it's another, another movement, right? Yeah. And I think if that bike would have came with the crank that it has now and the motor package it has now, mm-hmm. it could have it could have had a better shot at it because yeah. I'm a believer in the 350, especially probably more than most. I would ride 250F and 450 a lot, so it kind of never got me jaded to riding, like kind of lazy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that bike is an absolute amazing bike, but I don't think people like to have to ride it harder than they have to. Yeah. I don't know. Like maybe it's cause I'm an old guy now, but like, you know, we started that 250 vet class in the swap motor race series. So it's anyone over 30 on a 250, like two stroke or four stroke. Doesn't matter. I like talked Craig into starting that class. Cause I just wanted another class to ride. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to ride a younger class also or, or something. So, it also gave me a chance to race a 250 instead of a 450. And then lo and behold, every freaking race, I'm faster on the 250 than I am on the 450. Mm-hmm. Even when I feel amazing on the 450 and kind of out of sorts on the 250, I was wrong every time because we had the transponders and the lap times and stuff. So, like, you know, like we just got the Husky 350 the other day, and I'm, like, pumped to race that thing once I get it set up because – I want to see if it splits the difference and I'm actually better than on the 250. Yeah, I think like Milestone, like our local California tracks, I'd say minus, oh, Kia could still, I can ride the 350 so hard mm-hmm. and like th- you're not managing power as much. And the 350, like no matter where you ride it, you always have fun. Yeah. Like it's just always fun. I think the 450 is taken, I shouldn't say a lazy way, but it's like you always have, you can be in the wrong gear still jump stuff, but I think that, that torquey grunt has got people confused what power is. Mm-hmm. Where the 350 creates as much power as the Suzuki 450 and the Honda 450. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not the Honda now, but yeah, it's 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 an amazing motorcycle. Yeah. I was uh, thinking about it, like this weekend at, our, at the race, after the finish line, that strange right-hand turn. On the 250, I could ride the inside and just purposely take my finger off the clutch so I wasn't an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just brrr around it. But on a 450, I'd been chopping, you know, more choppy there. Yeah. But a 350 probably would roll through like the 250, right? Yeah, you'd be in second gear because the gears are real long on the 350. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not short, like, torquey. The gear ratio is real long. Like, you could do the whole track in second gear if you had to and yeah. jump the jumps. Cause yeah, no, I, that, the last day we were there testing, I think Saturday I rode there on 350. I rode the entire track in third. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna shift. Yeah, it's it. They uh, have done such a good job. I just think that the perce- it's a perception thing, and it's when you're not like the rest, perception is it's not right. But like you said, their numbers for sales show it's still popular. Huh? Still popular. So the racing market might not be buying it, but mm-hmm. the consumers buying it. So as long as our industry is selling bikes, that's all I care about. Yeah. Okay. So. Um how long were you with KTM? Through what? 15 two years. Year, two years ago? No, a, a year ago. A year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. I so left. I, I I left after 15 years. 15 years. That's that that's that's quite a long time. I mean, yeah. I, I had 19 years at Transworld before we got our ass kicked. But. Yeah. I um, I hit the ceiling. I, I just, I I loved what I did and I loved the industry and I, 
I didn't want to be bitter about an amazing company giving me an amazing job and just be a person that sat in the sat in the office and complained about an amazing job making a good solid salary for my family and I was like you know what I'm in house now but it just wasn't me they gave me amazing like after 15 years I became a full-time employee Mm -hmm. and was the R&D test coordinator and I just lost that that drive and I know you were bored I was really I was really (laughs) I think that's the most you ever texted me (laughs) yeah I was um (laughs) I wasn't stimulated and I just need to be moving and shaking and and doing stuff and like be more challenged I guess and not that they weren't going to challenge me over time. I just, I think for both of our relationship, I think it was time that I, I stepped away. It's that company. I owe them so much as far as the experiences I got to do. And I feel that I gave them 110% of my service for 15 mm-hmm. years. And I never did less than that. That yeah. when I was, when I started to feel I might not give my best, I decided to stop. And, mm-hmm. and now I can, I can still walk into that building like I'm, Part of the family, so yeah. that makes me really proud. Yeah. Hey, backing up a little bit, Orange Brigade, that, that was your baby, right? Dude, that was me and Christy LaCurl. We, we, we got to develop that, and that is a, a big feather in my cap. You know, Team Green was the, was the, was the driving force when I was an amateur, and mm-hmm. they owned all of us Yamaha guys, and then going to KTM and be able to revamp their, their which now is their Orange Brigade platform. Mm-hmm. They've crushed every amateur program, I think, like, Everything that me and Christy did, she resigned, I resigned, and then I hope and Nathan have it. And they've done everything that we've always wanted to do and been able to elevate mm-hmm. it to yeah. what it is today. You know the one mistake Orange Brigade made? What's that? They would never hire Joe Shimoda. Remember? I, I wasn't running it when... The, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and I agree. <laughs> they, they, they missed the boat on that. And I think that was that transition to that JDR... Mm-hmm. that TLD and there's that gray he was on the super mini yeah he I remember that that year and he he, he deserved a ride I'm glad he's ended up where he's at yeah Geico's I think at the well let's just say where Geico's at today and TLD's at today I think he's mm-hmm. at the right place yeah <laughs> but I mean I was like hey Christy and she's she I know she's probably like you're just calling because he's got the same shaped eyes as you. <laughs> yeah yeah but, did, uh, yeah but yeah Joe Joe was a standout and then he won that title that year on a on a KTM. black and white camouflage KTM. Yeah, that's a tough thing I'll say for the KTM is I was in, um, involved with developing the the 85s with Mitchell Falk, Kieran Naren, mm-hmm. and got that new generation 85 going. And they basically put every other 85 yeah. off the map. And you had kids, and it happened with Joe's the prime example, is that they tried to ride a different model bike, mm-hmm. and they realized they just had to buy KTMs. But then... When you have a factory KTM 85 rider and then you have a kid buying bikes, it puts you in a big predicament. Yeah. Could you imagine, I mean, Baggett beating Marvin every single weekend? It yeah. makes makes Ian Harrison not look good. <laughs> Wait, let's take another quick break, but uh, we'll be back for uh, one more segment together. What's up? This is Christian Craig. As a motocross racer, being in top physical shape is a must, and my favorite way to train is cycling. And whether it's road biking or mountain biking, I rely on Roy Cyclery to keep my bikes in perfect running order. Roy Cyclery has been servicing Old Town Upland, California since 1962. Mention the Swap Moto Life podcast for additional discounts in the shop. What's up, Swap Moto fans? The Toyota Escondido Action Sports Team supports some of the biggest racers in the sport 
like Aaron Plessinger, Shane McElrath, Dean Wilson, Axel Hodges, Colt Nichols, Brian Deegan, and more. With over two decades of supporting racers, we've become known as the place to buy a Toyota truck in Southern California. Toyota Escondido is a proud sponsor of the Swap Moto Live Show, and all you have to do to get the best deal on a quality Toyota truck is mention the show and tell them you want the Action Sports Special. Check us out online at toyotaescondido.com for more. Riders like Justin Cooper, Don Frandis, Eli Tomac, Adam Entingnap, Josh Hansen, and more partner with Works Chassis Lab for engine mounts and other special parts to add comfort to and enhance the handling characteristics of their bikes. With championships and race wins to prove it, Works Chassis Lab Parts provides the winning edge. Visit WorksChassisLab.com for more information. Welcome back to the Fly Racing Swap Motor Podcast. I'm Mike Sleater. So, Mike, you're now... We've been reunited in a way, and you're you're going to be testing with Swamo Live again. So yeah, um, it's pretty funny that you started with us and you learned all this stuff and did all these great things, and now you're coming back. And so I'm looking forward to the way that you pick stuff apart. Is it going to be uh, is it going to be fun to test a KTM now? Yeah, because I'll see what old Keaton Ward and Dennis Stapleton have been doing with that bike since I had it. So. Okay. Selfishly, I hope they made it worse. Yeah. So, but the 2020 bikes. Yep. Nothing. No. No Mike Slater finger I, There's not the, the only. Yeah. There's nothing. That's all new settings. Like, that's what's really cool about KTM is they don't sit on things for a year. Yeah. So like I got to work on the ergonomics because it's the same as the last year and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like all the internal suspension, the EFI stuff, all the all the all the ECU changes. That's that's all them, and I'm excited to. to Get back in the grind and, and 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 pick apart some bikes and mm-hmm. and uh, see what I'm on a good some good equipment in a production form now and mm-hmm. I'm not kind of jaded like you said before and I think we did a good time it was a good break I didn't you know we didn't test any KTM's or Huskies in in 19s mm-hmm. and I think we have some stuff coming up shortly that I can get in the mix and yeah and it was good to because when you needed a bike I put you on a Cowie because oh, I wanted you to ride something other than what yep. you're comfortable with, just to get a different perspective. Yep. Like, yeah. ride something full-time. Yeah. Know? Yeah, we, you, you were smart. You put me on the Husqvarna right away so I wouldn't just, like, be thrown into the deep end. Mm-hmm. Rode the Husky, which, yeah, I was involved with the same thing, but it's not the same thing. And then mm-hmm. we moved to the Cowie. And now I'm on a Yamaha, mm-hmm. and I have a way better perspective of what I want and what the, the other OEMs are trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And now when I watch the races, I'm actually seeing things that like Tomac does. I'm like, yeah, I know why they does that. And I yeah. see things that Plessinger does. I'm like, yeah, I know why that happens. And, you know, I, I can see the, the struggles between OEMs and, and setting their bikes up for sure now. Mm-hmm. Hey, now that you're away from it, um, what are your thoughts about the Air Fork? I still believe in that KTM Air Fork. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. I, I think it works really well. I think there's room for advancement. I know... Um, it's it's a really simple. It doesn't fail with like the triple chamber. I think the the OEMs that came out with the Air Force before KTM mm-hmm. really hurt the the um, the reputation of an Air Force. Mm-hmm. But I, like I said, I've been away from it. I didn't come up with the idea, but I've won a lot of like vet races and big races on that Air Force, and yeah. that's it. I, it's 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 not a KYB Yamaha fork. Like, but it's I'm, also not it, a triple air chamber. Yeah, but shuffle. it's not a triple 
junk chamber. I remember at Glen Helm when you had me ride that thing, I literally thought you were trying to like kill me on the cabbie. Yeah. But like I said, the KTM or the WP48 fork is a really good fork. I know Enzo does a really good trick, like cartridge swap out. So there's a lot of potential to that fork that, you know, I think KTM gets hammered and Husky gets hammered. If it doesn't come perfect out of the box, mm-hmm. then it can be no good. So give it a shot. Like you can you can dial it in. Don't overthink it. I yeah. think I think it's a, I think it's a good fork for sure. Okay, so um, let's talk about you a little bit personally. You also have some ambassadorships, like you're you're associated with Simi Valley Cycles. Yep, Simi Valley. Answer Racing. Maxis. Maxis. 100%. Bell, Bell Helmets. Yeah, 100%, 100% Bell. CD Boots. CD Boots. A lot of people stuck behind me. Like, I've, I'm very fortunate. I've never left a gear company. Um, I was the first one industries athlete in gear and the last. last <laughs> I weathered the storm. And then Answer, the guys at Answer brought me on. And, um, you know, I, I think all of my ambassadorships is like family, all my kids, like, you know, we all run everything together and have fun, but like, I'm really fortunate that I have great equipment. I look good. I feel I have great protective gear. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go to the line or go to the track, I know I'm not like settling for a paycheck. I'm not getting a paycheck from any of those guys. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a good feeling to be able to be involved with companies that have great product. Yeah, yeah. I think you, I think you wore the one industry's like blue poncho jersey. Yeah, there was a bit of a tough time there when we thought we were team fried, I think. And um, we had ponchos and uh, sombreros and a lot of weird stuff, misfits gear. Yeah. But times have changed. That was the rad brand. Mark Blanchard wasn't involved in that time. So I'll think of the good years. The good years. Yeah. You know the coolest years were when they first came out and... It's just so crazy to think that them signing J-Law, they lost Dungey, right? I think it's that like, was a, bl- a blessing, though. Do you? Yeah, because, because I, I don't know if they would have paid Dungey. Oh, they yeah, did, he they won did, everything. They, they, he won everything, and I think they would have been in strive. If they were able to pull that off, though. Would their sales improve? And, and would they still be around today? I think they would have still sold. And then I think when they sold the 777, I think, mm. different management came in, and I think... Um, We've seen it happen time and time before, but one industry is once they lost, Ludo left, and then once Mark left, they lost the heartbeat of the company, and um, that's why it's so cool to work with the guys 100% now, back with Ludo and Mark, and I think that brand is so successful because everyone that works there from 8 to 5, I should say 8 to 8 with Mark and Ludo, is they feel accountability, and that product speaks for itself, and as soon as those guys left one industry, everyone was fighting to... To make it something that it wasn't. Yeah. You know, I think uh, everyone is kind of hoping and expecting 100 to make gear. Yep. And I know that that's, as far as I know, it's not on their, not on their agenda. And because I know that, like, when they came out with the downhill mountain bike gear, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. auto gear. And like, no, it's not. You know, it's, it, don't you dare wear on your motocross bike. But, dude, those guys make the best mountain bike shorts. And yeah, that they, they're on top of it. Yeah, I, I wish selfishly, like like I said, that Mark would, you know, break out some of the his 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 old stuff and yeah. some moto stuff because their designs. You saw me at Paris wearing their mountain bike gear mm-hmm. as a moto on the motocross track. Yeah, when I saw you doing that, I was like, oh, I can't yeah, do yeah. That. 
No, they're not going to do it. I think Ludo would love to freak people out, but I think the business side of it is not good, and I think they need to, they're need they going to continue to work on their mountain bike gear mm-hmm. and, and take over the mountain bike world like they have in Moto with the, the goggle. Yeah, for sure. So what about... Uh, okay, so you're in answer. I know you're one of their dudes. Are you helping develop any stuff? Um, not right now, no. I, PNG took so much of my time early on um, to get it going that I really was 100% focused on that. I've been able to start working back with 100% and doing projects and and, um, and developing that I'm riding moto more now, um, just testing products. So mm. I'm assuming if Randy has some stuff for me to try, um, I'm just really like, I just feel really happy to be around people that support me and my family and my mm-hmm. kids and, and what I do. So, I mean... If, if they need some tested, they know where to get a hold of me. But they have some good people. They have JGR, Alex, you know, uh, Jerry yeah. Martin. Yeah. They have good people around them. And they, they definitely have Nick Way, of course. He can. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he spends enough laps. But right now I'm just a, a general consumer wearing gear, so it's good. Yeah. Okay, last question. Why does Mathis hate you? I think we squashed it. Oh, did you? Unless Anton, That's good to hear. Unless the guest says Anton does otherwise. Does Ant- Anton just... Mathis still hate him? I think he's good. They're good now? Yeah. Okay. So, I, so I never for, understood it. I used to yeah, so he, I think he didn't like it. He told me, he, he I messaged him, like, dude, I keep getting messages from people like he's talking crap. I never actually listened to one show. I was in Freestone, Texas, and he set me up. It was him and Watson, and they set me up, and they asked someone to, I tweeted him, like, oh, yeah, just Jeremy Martin kid super fast in Freestone. He's going to be the real deal. And they said to call in, they set me up. Like to play a practical joke on me, and I, I tweeted back like that. Math is, I felt bad for Math's short or shoes for walking around pits all day weighing like 500 pounds, and Mathis was pissed about it. Which mm-hmm. I didn't eat that many burgers. He should be pissed, you know. So that was like seven years ago or yeah. no, nine years ago, and then he just carried it. And um, I never really listened to a show ever again. And he just would always bring up like crap about me to people mm-hmm. when they call in or whatever. And actually, I can say, uh, I finally had enough. I texted him, called him, and emailed him, and I'm pretty sure we squashed it. Like oh, that's good because I, I, I listen I, to I his know. shows. I listen to his shows now, actually, pretty frequently. Yeah, and he does a good job. Like yeah. I can honestly say, he does a really good job with his shows. He's an intense teammate of mine now. You know, he rides oh, a yeah, taser. Yeah. You know, I, I, we're blue crew. As you, we're like teammates. I think. So I better get along with Mathis because he's yeah. like he's probably my team manager. I don't even know. But no, legitimately, I got nothing against that guy. That was a long time ago, and I give him props for what he does. He's definitely committed to this industry. He gives a lot back with that privateer stuff. So if Mathis ever listens to this janky radio show, then um, you know, just he, I don't hate him. I think he does a good job of the show. Yeah. But if he runs his mouth and I see him on the track, I'm definitely gonna knock him down. Yeah. Or uh, push the down button on his taser when you pass him. Yeah, no, he, he, he does a good job, man. I think what he's doing is commendable because people might think it's it's he has a drama show or whatever, but he takes a lot of time, puts yeah. a lot of effort into it, and I can appreciate the hustle for, for the industry. It's, yeah. it's, it's really cool. You know what? I'm really stoked to see him riding his mountain bike so much. The guy's dropped a ton of weight. He's living a better life. He's healthier. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I hate that people are railing him on his show about like Being e-bikes, e-bike? e-bikes, and all this nonsense. That's a yeah. whole other topic, but that we should get into on, on the swap mode of bike stuff, you know. And yeah, but kudos to Mathis for changing his lifestyle. It's really cool. Intense is behind him. Got him mm-hmm. a taser. 
It's really good. He's promoting a healthier lifestyle. Um, honestly, that guy does a good job. I'll say it again. He does a good job for the sport. He promotes the right people. He talks shit about the right people. Now that I'm listening, now I'm more educated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool. Like, I, I'm glad to see him more engrossed riding again. Mm-hmm. Like, I used to kind of be bitter at guys that would just talk and not ride. Yeah. But now he walks the walk and talks the talk. Yeah. He's riding and riding bike and moto. So yeah. it's cool. And Anton likes him better than his own boss. Dude. That's like the, he's in his star guest, dude. Oh, yeah. I hear. Anton's on the Pulp show more than he's on the... I thought he was a Pulp... A pulp uh, employee? Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, maybe. Moonlighting. <laughs> but hey, so we're talking about Intense. Intense is a sponsor of the Swap Moto Podcast, so you're also an ambassador with them, too, right? You've helped R&D some stuff. And, yeah, uh, they're, that Taser, like, it's. I won't ever own a dual sport motorcycle ever again. That's my dual sport. Yeah. I go out, I leave from my garage, go hit trails, like... Intense is, is intense is my new KTM. Mm-hmm. I guess you'd say like they're like a good family to me. Yeah, they're kind of like the KTM family. Over yeah, there, yeah, right? yeah. John Eric's over there. Chris is over there. And then they left their OG like with Steber and Jen. And now that group there is absolutely amazing. And having Aaron Gwynn and their race team, I think it's only gonna you kind of see what KTM did. I think that same recipe for success is put in place for mm-hmm. Intense to be successful. Yeah, you know what's gnarly about them is like. Their employees are all super badass at bikes too, right? Like, I, I did some trail the other day and I looked and just to see in Chappies the KOM. Yeah, that's one thing that's different about why, you know, kind of going back to math, this is different between Moto, what separates Swap Moto Live and other media outlets is the mountain bike community rides. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they work in the industry not to get rich, but because they're passionate, they ride. Yeah. Not other media outlets in Moto really ride a lot of them write like I don't know when I saw Jason Wygant on a dirt bike but I hear mm-hmm. him talking about him all the time mm-hmm. you know um, I think I saw him ride at the Hawkins the Yamaha ride the Yamaha launch at Hawkins place he rode. Yeah, yeah so I yeah. mean I just don't see it so yeah. like the mountain bike community they all ride yeah. like they ride they bench race they have beers and you see it so I think our whole moto community needs to t- get back riding like, like I said you do and Anton and the whole swap mode of life, like, it's mandated you go to the races and ride, it seems like. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it is or isn't, that's not my call, but, like, it's cool to see, like, our community leads by example, and if our own community of editors aren't riding and racing, and I think it's counterintuitive to what our sport needs. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, uh, you've got a little insight, I'm sure. What's new with Intense next year? Honestly, I don't. No? no uh, I, I thought think there were some changes on the Taser. No, I, I don't know about the Taser. I know they have some changes on the Tracer. Mm-hmm. That's the 275 yeah. that I'm riding now. The Enduro bike, right? Yep. It's a 160 bike, 160 mil. I'm hoping... I don't know. I might... I was going to switch to the Carbine 29er. I don't know. Carbine's nice. I know. And I, I, We need to test that thing. I... I I kind of want to go 29er because the Sniper is my favorite right now. The XC bike, I've been doing a lot of XC races, so the Sniper is my absolute favorite. So I hear, uh, I heard that you know Jeff Myshack, owner of Geico, and he won't let any of his riders ride a Sniper because of low travel dangers for the chase. Because <laughs> chase car. I actually am going to agree with that because those I, guys aren't racing. Yeah, they should ride an enduro bike, like it's a trail safer, bike. And safer and it's a better workout. And it's a better workout. Yeah. So like, I'm actually going to like. Moto guys tech shouldn't crash a mountain bike, but they do, yeah. a lot of them. So, yeah, I'm down with my Shack's decision on making them all ride trail bikes. Yeah. I saw McAdoo on a, on a trail bike, and he rips. <laughs> he rips. He's fit. 
But he needs to wear the right kit. These Moto guys wear the wrong kits. Like, Imagine if he wears a Lycra on a trail Lycra, line. road helmet. Like, we'll, we, you know, call 100%. Well, he's a TLD guy now. They have yeah. some good gear. So, Keith, get your guy McAdoo the red mountain bike gear. Yeah. Well, if he's really a TLD guy, he's running a Specialized, all right? He's probably got a lot of stuff this year. Like, mm. his UPS guy <laughs> knows him. That guy, man. Mercado. Love yeah. that guy, though. He's a good kid. Hard worker. I love yeah. it. Cool. Well, hey, man, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your afternoon. I know you probably got to go sell this PNG yeah, stuff. Yeah, probably. Right? I got to visit a couple of dealers and, and um, hustle them and make sure they're buying hydration and gels. Man. Sell some gels and uh, and uh, go home and work on the pit bikes for the kids. And yeah, I'm pissed. Uh, Mathis' show's not on the night right. I have a home play. They had a weekend off. Weekend oh, off. Really? Anton, okay. weekend off last week? No, okay, yeah, yeah, I just want to check. Okay. <laughs> Well, hey, we'll, uh, we'll see you on Thursday at Glen Helm for the uh, 2022 DSXF test. I'm excited to see you then. All right. Thanks for coming on, Mike, and thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Swap Moto Live podcast show presented by Ogio and hosted by my dad, Don Mera. Thanks for listening.